I want to get started with a little Bible verse. I like the Bible. This verse, I know you guys are like, yeah, all right, he likes the Bible, good. We're off to a good start. Um, this verse is, the original language is really, really rich. And uh, I haven't really found a version that totally just nails it. So I want to read three different versions today just to kind of give us a broad, that big picture, that full understanding of really what this verse is talking about. This is Psalm 107, chapter 2. In the, the English Standard Version, or ESV, which is what I like to study from, it says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Pretty simple. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Next one is from the NIV, and I love the way it translates this. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those who he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And then the New Living Translation gets really practical and kind of in your face about it. Here's what it says. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from the hand of your enemies. I love it. It's so practical. It, it's, I mean, you can't get away from it. It's a question. Has the Lord redeemed you? If so, speak out about it, right? And today is all about us speaking out. It's about our story, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Today our sermon is called The Importance of a Story. One thing that you will come to learn about me as we all grow together is that I love, love, love stories. I love stories. My parents will tell you this is because I like being the center of attention, and they're right, but I also like making people laugh. If you just laughed, thank you. My happiness meter just went, if you didn't laugh, sorry, I'm not a comedian, um, I love telling stories, but I don't just love telling them, I love hearing them. We spent uh, a, a night this week with Rajiv and Suba Paul. Rajiv is our, um, our youth leader here. He's at the well right now teaching our students, and Suba is our reg carpet director. You saw her on the way in this morning. Uh, we had dinner with them, and we told stories. We were at their house for like five hours, and we just told stories. It's a blast. You get to know people, share some laughs. But stories, especially for Christians, stories are really, really important. And we're going to get into that. But I want to tell you guys a story today. I want to share a little bit about my life and my family's life and really a time when kind of everything was sort of, it felt like everything was collapsing around me, like my purpose and stuff like that. And God showed up in a really, really awesome, in a very specific way. And I want to share that with you this morning before we start really digging into why stories are so important. This is a story about me. Just kidding. I'm the protagonist, but ultimately it's not about me. It is about God and what God does. Cool. So I, back in 2007, um, I was called to ministry. I went to Metro Baltimore Master's Commission which is like a one-year discipleship program that was run out of our Trinity Life campus. And during that time, they made me the junior high director, so I got to teach a lot of the students um, from grades six through eight. And uh, during that time, I felt a real specific call to, to ministry, and it was confirmed by a lot of leaders in my life. And uh, that felt good. That felt really, really good. So I immediately was like, all right, I got to get 
prepared for this, you may have heard the phrase, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called, right? He calls us and then he provides us a way to, uh, to basically fulfill our calling and our purpose. So I was like, okay, I've been called, let's go get trained. So I went to Central Bible College to study biblical theology, which basically means I know a lot of big words and I can throw them out in sentences. And I might not know everything they mean, but I have a big vocabulary. So I learned, but I learned a lot. I learned about how God works. I learned a ton about the Bible. The Bible, this thing right here, this is one of my favorite things on the planet. If you don't have a Bible here today, we have a Bible for you. Just letting you know. Guest Central, end of service, get yourself a Bible. This is God's Word, and it's alive. It's not just the words of some people from 2,000 years ago. This is living and active Word of God. Amen? So we go, to, we go to this book for everything. I mean, not just me, Echo Community Church and the church in general. We go here because this is the Word of God. So I was, I, I was trained, and, and then uh, after Central Bible College, I went to a church in Fairfax, Virginia for two years, and I studied under uh, my mentor who taught me not only how to be a disciple, but how to be a discipler, how to disciple other people. So I was called, and I was equipped, and I was like, all right, bring it on. Let's go get some people saved, you know. I was really excited, and financially speaking, living in Fairfax, Virginia is really expensive. Um, My wife and I are looking into housing up here, and we're looking at some properties, you know, a a nice two- or three-bedroom house. I guess three-bed, two-bath is anywhere from, you know, 200,000 to 450,000, depending on the area. Fairfax, Virginia, the property prices are double to triple what they are up here. So I, uh, we, we moved from Virginia up to Maryland when we got married in August 2013, and I started working again with uh, GameStop, which is a video game retailer. That's another one of my passions is video games. Any gamers in the house? Anyone? All right, we got a couple gamers. Hooray! Got to hold down the fort, right? Um, so I got back into, into retail management, basically to make ends meet and to provide for my family, but I was still serving at church. I hadn't, you know, forgot the call of God on my life. But as time kind of went on, that sort of started to slide further and further away as I was really just consumed with the day-to-day operations of managing people and product and all that kind of stuff. And I had a, I guess, sort of a panicky moment in... I guess this would be 2014 in March or April, where I went, what am I doing with my life? I got to get, I got to get back into ministry. So I sent out applications and resumes and I I contacted the people in my network and said, hey, are there churches that are, you know, have open uh, positions for discipleship or worship pastor or, I mean, anything. I just want to get back into ministry. And I got a couple hits and I was in some good conversations with people and nothing really panned out. So... I didn't really doubt that God had a call in my life, but I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I was pretty discouraged, you know, um, from the, the Bible of Mike Ditka, uh, God helps those who help themselves, right? Not in the actual Bible, just in case you thought it was. Um, that was Mike Ditka being silly. But, you know, I'm like, I'm doing my work. It's not like God's opening a door and I'm just standing there like, oh, I wonder if he'll kick me through. I was really, really trying. I just nothing was panning out. So I said, well, maybe it's just not God's timing. And then I went right back to just kind of the day-to-day stuff with, with retail management. And I started to think about my calling less and less. And I was still serving in a church, sort of. But 
it just sort of was pushed from my mind. So fast forward last August 2014, uh, my wife Chelsea and I had been married for one year, and we went to Yorktown, Virginia to a little bed and breakfast to celebrate our anniversary. And it had a big round table where everybody eats breakfast together. We're all served together, and so we're kind of getting to know the other guests that are staying at this bed and breakfast. So we're going around the table, everybody's saying their name and what they do. And I said, well, my name is James, and I'm a retail store manager for GameStop, a video game retailer. And if you've ever worked in retail for any amount of time, especially retail management, when you say I work in retail, the very next thing is like, <laughs> good one. Okay, well, what do you want to do? Because like, nobody wants to do retail, right? There are people that want to do it, and they're good at it. I, unfortunately, am not. Um, so, haha, what do you want to do? And this is the point where I should say, well, I believe that God has called me to ministry. I believe that he wants me to, to be a disciple and to make disciples. And that is why I am, you know, hoping that God opens the doors to let me be a pastor soon somewhere. And that's what I should have said. But my mind went completely blank. And I went, uh, I don't know, his customer service is nice. I like serving people and making people happy, I guess. And then went to Chelsea, and she was like, I'm a photographer, and everybody loved it. As soon as these words left my mouth, it was like a switch flipped in my mind, and I went into panic mode. Because for whatever reason, my mind was blank when I had the opportunity to say, I want to be a pastor. And I just, and so many thoughts just started flooding. And oh my gosh, what have I done? Uh, have I become so complacent and so apathetic at GameStop that I have forgotten what God had planned for my life? What am I doing? Is there some kind of like sin that I'm not noticing that's keeping me from this? Am I not trying hard enough? God, I, I tried to get into some churches, you know, I, I was trying to throw these doors open and they were just closing in my face. What does this mean for me? Was I actually called in the ministry? And just all of these thoughts, literally within a five minute period, sitting at a breakfast table and from this point, I'm like, great, my entire day is ruined. We're getting ready to go to Bush Gardens. We're going to have a great day. We get up to the room, and Chelsea says, you didn't say ministry. And I was like, oh, great. So she noticed, too. So it's not just me, you know, in personal anguish, but my wife is like, why didn't you say ministry? So I am just at, at, really, at a really low point within a 15-minute period I've just, everything has come crashing down mentally and, and emotionally in my mind. And she's getting ready to go to Bush Garden. She's like, you know, putting on makeup and humming to herself and doing her hair and stuff like that. And I'm just sitting on the bed going, why? What have I done? Why has God not done anything with me? Is it my fault? And 10 minutes later, my phone beeps. And I look at it, it's from Pastor George Radwano, who is the senior pastor of our Trinity Life Campus. I haven't talked to him in five years. And I look at the message and it says, hey James, I know you're back in town in Baltimore. Let's get you serving in ministry at Trinity Life. And it was, it was very timely, <laughs> as you can guess. In a moment of deep personal anguish and crisis and feeling I had just, I had missed the boat, God showed up in an awesome way. 
I don't have time to tell the rest of this story. Suffice to say that the last year of my life has had God's fingerprints all over it. That is not always how he operates. Sometimes, you know, we get a thought and he kind of confirms in our spirit where we're going. But at least for this last season of my life, I can say firmly and without a doubt that God has led me everywhere I'm supposed to be. And ultimately, that has led me here to Echo Community Church, which, by the way, this job, this discipleship pastor thing that I'm doing is my dream job. I'm 29 years old, and because God is good, and because he's gracious and forgiving, and because he's just, I mean, I know I already said this, but he's good. He's good. Because of who he is, I'm now here, and I basically have my dream job. And it's at a dream-sized church, and I love it. But this is not a story about me. It's not about me. This is a story about God. At some point, maybe I'll, I'll as, and you know, as we get to know each other and everything, I'll, you'll hear the rest of this past year of my life and how this has gone, but I couldn't take God out of my story if I tried. He has done so much for me and for my family, and even recently dealing with some, some very scary health crisis kind of stuff, God has been there. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and you've walked with Jesus, you've experienced very similar things. Where God shows up at just the right time in just the right way, he does it all the time because he's in the business of providence. He's in the business of it. That's what he does because he cares for us and he loves us. And I'm not about to stand up here and, you know, prosperity theology you about how he's in the business of giving us, you know, jets and cars and video game systems and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But he is in the business of meeting needs. And so as Christians, we're kind of in that business too. Here's the big idea for today. And ultimately the reason I shared this story and kind of where we're going here. The big idea, and these are, this is in your notes, is that stories of God remind me of his providence. I retell these stories to encourage others recognizing that God is the hero. Stories of God remind me of his providence. I and you, we retell these stories to encourage others, and we recognize that God is the hero. And uh, I do want to make a random side note. When I set out to write this sermon, I did not try to do three things that were all the same letter. It just kind of happened nicely. So, point number one in your notes first big blank there, is remind. Stories of God remind me of his providence. This story came to my mind last week when we were walking through some health stuff and kind of put me at peace because I was reminded that God has provided for me in the past. He has proven himself. So I have no reason to doubt. Um, Someone said this once, and it has really become a part of my Christian life I have too much history with God to doubt his providence. I'm 29 years old, and as young as I am, I have had too much history with God's providence to doubt it at this point. But sometimes when trouble hits and crisis, you know, we go into crisis mode in our minds, we focus on, we narrow our focus to that problem, right? And we kind of forget and take our focus off of the big God 
who can help us through it or provide a way of escape, right? And so stories of God remind us and help us to refocus our attention and our energy on the God who has the solution and the God who can provide for that need. Another thing about me is uh, I, I grew up, I guess until I was about 17 or 18, in, a, in like an old school church. We sang hymns. I love hymns. Does anybody else love hymns in here? Yes. Awesome. Here's why I love hymns. Uh, you could come to Echo Community Church and listen to me talk for 35 minutes, and please keep listening to me talk. Don't leave. <laughs> Major confidence <laughs> would happen. Uh, keep coming to church. It's good. But but I like hymns because in you know, the span of five to ten minutes, not only do you get beautiful music, but you also get some serious theology just crammed into a couple minutes. And not to say that every hymn is good. There are some totally whack hymns, just like there's total, some totally whack worship songs out there right now. Um, but hymns are, I just, they connect with me really well on an intellectual level. They can be so packed with meaning. And one of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I'm not going to leave you in that right now. But it's so good. It's just packed with, with how good God is and what he's done for us and everything. And um, the most common verses sung from that song are 1, 3, and 4. The second verse is not sung very often. And in fact, I, I had read it, but I didn't actually sing the second verse of that song probably until I was maybe 20 or 21 years old. And it starts like this, here I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer. So I was like, that's, that's weird. What's an Ebenezer? Um, it's an old guy who's crotchety and rich from a Christmas carol. Um, and in the next couple months, we're all going to watch 5,000 different actors portray him in different movies on television. Um, it's the road that Echo Community Church is on, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> but I kind of dug a little bit and found out that Ebenezer is a biblical concept. It comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7. And I'm going to set this story before I read this verse. Um, the Israelites have messed up again, um, as humans usually do, and we all do included. Uh, they lost the Ark of the Covenant, which was basically a physical representation of where God resided. They lost it. The Philistines took it. And then they get it back in chapter 6, and they're all happy about it. And they kind of realize, well... We messed up. We should return to God again. So in the beginning of chapter 7, Samuel says, if you want to return to God, you need to put away all your false idols, get rid of that stuff, and serve God and worship him only. So the Israelites get rid of all the bad stuff, and they start focusing on God. Samuel takes them to this place called Mizpah, where they all gather essentially to repent. Um, Samuel judges the people and, and basically prays on their behalf for forgiveness from God, right? So all the Israelites are at this place called Mizpah, Meanwhile, their perennial enemies, the Philistines, have noticed this, and they're like, oh, they're all just sitting there on their knees praying at this one spot, and they're all together. This is a perfect time to go wipe them out. So they take up arms, army starts mobilizing and advancing towards the Israelite camp. Israelites, I don't, the Bible doesn't say how they notice this, but, you know, maybe look up and see this huge dust cloud coming to them or whatever. They realize they're in danger, and so they say to Samuel, please don't stop praying to God for us. So Samuel makes a burnt offering. The Lord accepts the offering, 
And then here's what happens. And this is cool. This is one of these things where when I get to heaven, if God allows me to kind of see some moments from the Bible, this is one of the moments I want to see. Verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But, this is really cool, the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. A mighty sound came from heaven and freaked these dudes out. I say that I would like to hear that, but it would probably terrify me, which is why I want to wait to get to heaven to hear what it is. So please don't pray that you hear that sound. I don't want to hear it. Um, So the men of Israel, I'm sorry, the Philistines were in confusion and they were routed before Israel. So God shows up in the middle of this repentance. God shows up in a big way and saves his people, right? And then here's what happens in verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, until now, the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means stone of help. And it's not, obviously, the stone that helped, right? God is the one that helped But in Ebenezer, and this is the same with most of the altars that are built in the Old Testament, they're not just there to be there. They're a physical representation of God's past actions. When the Israelites walk by this stone, they go, I was, I remember that. I was there the day that God cried forth from heaven and saved us from the Philistines. It was a reminder of his providence. And Ebenezer is a reminder of God's actions. Our stories, in a way, are Ebenezers. They remind us of what God has done for us in our lives. Stories of God's past providence remind us three basic things real quick, and I'm not going to get super into these things, but stories of God's past providence remind us that he's caring, he's capable, and he's consistent. He's caring, capable, and consistent. And on an intellectual level, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you kind of know this intellectually, but when you are reminded of what God has done, of how he proved that he's caring, capable, and consistent— it helps you to refocus on God in the midst of struggle. Matthew 6, 25 through 30 proves that he is caring. He talks about birds, which I like, and he talks about plants, which I like. And he says that basically he's taking care of these things and they're great and everything, but how much more important are you? And if God takes care of these things, obviously he's going to take care of you. You're so much more valuable than a bird or a plant, Right? So God is caring. He's capable. Ephesians 3.20 says that he's able to do more than we could ask or imagine, which is a lot, because we have active imaginations. So God can do more than we can imagine and more than we can ask for. So very clearly, he is capable to do something about the fact that he cares for us, right? All of that wouldn't really matter too much if we didn't understand also that he is consistent. Because just because you care and you're capable of doing something about it doesn't necessarily mean you're actually going to do something for us. For God, 
we know he's consistent. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. This is one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In other words, even when we are completely faithless and unfaithful, God remains faithful because it is his character. He can't not be faithful. He is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And those three basic things we remember often when we tell these stories and we remind ourselves that he, is, that he cares for us and he's capable and he's consistent and that he has proven these things before. If you are here today and you know, maybe you're struggling with the, with the God concept or something, that is okay, by the way. Um, understand that God loves you and that he is more than capable of doing something about it. And he's consistent enough to do so. Take that away. So these stories are Ebenezer's, and they remind us of God's help. But our stories are not just for us. It's great. It's a benefit to us, absolutely. But they're not just for us. And this is the second point in your notes, is retell. So stories of God's providence remind us of what he's done, but we retell these stories to encourage others. Ebenezer's and other altars built to commemorate God's actions in the Bible provided a way for the Israelites to retell their stories. Joshua chapter 4 is a perfect example of this. So what happens right before this Joshua has basically taken the leadership of the Israelites. Moses has died, and Joshua was Moses' number two man. So Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites under God, right? So he has a moment where they're at the Jordan River, and they need to get across, and God splits the Jordan River in half just like he did with Moses when he split the Red Sea. So what Joshua does is he takes these 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel, he puts them in the water, and at that point, God splits the water and the Israelites walk across on dry land. So here in Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, it says this, The 12 stones which they removed from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord did to the Red Sea with Moses. He's very specific. In the future, your children will ask. Then you can tell them. In the future, your children will ask, and now you can tell You're walking by with, I don't know, old biblical name, little Methuselah, little Thaddeus, whatever. Just da, 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 da. They're like, oh, that's weird. There's 12 stones sitting right there. What's going on, dad? And then dad goes, hey, that's really cool. God split a river in half, and we walked across on dry ground. That's what those stones represent. They're like, whoa, that's amazing. All Keanu Reeves, apparently. Woo. Um, but isn't that cool? 
they set these things up not just as reminders for themselves, but as a way to communicate what God has done to other people. I am not a father yet, but I will tell you this. One of the best things that you can do for your children is to communicate stories of God's providence. It helps to communicate not only what God has done, but I mean, imagine walking past those stones and being able to say, hey, this is where God split the water. I mean, it's like a sense of awe, right? Like God can do just incredible, amazing things. And when we retell that, it can instill good things in others. It can encourage others. But it's not just specifically for other Christians either. Our stories of God's providence can also plant the seed in people who don't know Jesus yet. I was meeting with a friend of mine. He was an old, old friend. I hadn't talked to him in years. This is maybe two or three months ago, right before uh, I came over here to Echo. And we were just kind of catching up. And he said, hey, what do you, you know, you're back in Baltimore. Where were you? What have you been doing? What's going on? And I, I kind of told him, well, I, uh, I'm, you know, a, a pastor at a church right now, and I'm getting ready to transition to this place called Echo Community Church, where I'm going to be the discipleship pastor. And he was like, what? What is that? Like, I'm using all these, you know, church buzzwords or whatever, and it's just like, bing, bing, bing. He has no idea what it means. So I started kind of explaining what it is that I do and was getting ready to do. And I kind of started telling this story that I told you guys earlier about how God showed up in a very visible way uh, at the perfect timing, right? And one of, one of the things that I struggle with, I'm a pastor and I'm not perfect, yay. Um, one of the things that I struggle with is because I, and in some ways, am a debater, I love debating, I love theology, I love philosophy, I love tackling difficult arguments and stuff like that. So part of the way my brain is wired is um, when, when you're in a debate, not only do you want to present your case, but you want to know what the other guy is going to say to refute your case so that you can then rebuttal his rebuttal. That makes sense? So you're kind of always trying to think one step ahead. It's like chess. And so my brain is wired. I'm thinking one step ahead. I'm like, okay, if I tell my friend this, then he might say this, and then what do I say about this? And then if I say that, and one thing that, that unfortunately that I struggle with is that sometimes I get overly sensitive to people who do not know Jesus, because I don't want to just like walk up and club them in the face with God, you know? Jesus doesn't even do that. If anybody has the right to, it's him because he died for their sins, but Jesus doesn't even do that. So I'm like, how, how do I communicate truth and not scare this guy half to death and still be honest about God um, and like all these kind of things and my brain just gets just mired and, and that has in the past, not recently, but unfortunately in the past has kept me from effectively sharing some of the gospel with some people. God has, has worked with me on that and he is still in the process of it. But this is what happened and this is, this is cool. When I was telling this story to my friend, I couldn't, I couldn't take God out of it. I couldn't, like, be overly sensitive and just try to give him a pared-down version, you know, which I was not trying to do at this point. But I noticed while I was saying it that I couldn't take God out of my story if I tried to. He's a main character. 
In my story, he was the hero, right? If I took God out of that story I told you, it would basically be, well, I was in intense personal anguish over my purpose, and now I have a job. And some stuff happened in between. It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be a complete story if I took out a main character, right? So I'm retelling this. It's impossible for me to take God out of this story. And I had a moment, or he had a moment, where I kind of saw something click. And I would like to say that, you know, I led him to the Lord right there. I didn't. Um, But something clicked. It wasn't just a coincidence that I'm here. It wasn't just a coincidence that it magically happened at just the right time when I was worried and I heard from some guy who hadn't heard from five years. You know, there's the law of large numbers, which is basically like everything will happen at some point. Uh, there's a really good chance that, that you know, coincidences, I'm not going to get into that. It's confusing. Um, but there are too many stories just like mine, even just represented by this room of people. There are too many coincidences and times when God has showed up and done something amazing to try and remove him from the equation. We can't do it. I mean, you have stories like that, Right? You can't take God out of our stories. And so when we start telling these stories where God has come through for us and we're so grateful and thankful, we tell these stories to people who don't know him. It plants the idea that there does exist a God who loves them. And the generation that is growing up right now, in many ways, do not have a concept of God, period. There are people who I have met who have actually never heard the name of Jesus, which is wild to me. And I mean, I knew I grew up in the church and everything, but it's just crazy to me that people haven't even heard this this name other than, you know, there's a kid in my class named Jesus or something, you know. It's just, it's crazy. But our stories don't just encourage other Christians and, and help to lift up people and to lift up God, but they plant the idea that there is a God that exists that loves them. Isn't that cool? So stories are not just for us, but we retell them for other people. And this is the third point here in your notes. Third blank is recognize. Recognize that God is the hero. God is the hero of our story. We might be the protagonists in our story, but we are not the hero. And this is not a self-depreciating thing either. It's not like, oh, well, I didn't really do anything that bad, you know, like fake humility or whatever. That's not it at all. We are actually not the heroes of our story. God is. Think about, uh, okay, this. Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody like Chronicles of Narnia? Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The main protagonists are four kids, right? Two guys, two girls. The sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. Um, I like C.S. Lewis, too. Good stuff. Um, but they're the protagonists, right? The story takes place through their eyes. And sometimes they're split up and you get different perspectives and stuff like that. But the stories take place through essentially the eyes and lives of these four kids. But they're not the heroes of the story. Who's the hero of the story? Aslan, exactly. He's the one that always shows up in the nick of time, right when they need something, and saves the day. So these four kids are the protagonists, but they're not the hero. Aslan is the hero. And knowing that C.S. Lewis is a Christian, Aslan is essentially the Jesus figure in these books. 
And so kind of in that same way, we might be the protagonist of our stories. Yeah, I was telling you that story earlier, and I said me a lot and I a lot, because that's my perspective. But I'm not the hero of my story. God is. God is the one that came through when I needed him to come through, or actually when I didn't even know what I needed at that point. I just thought I had missed something, you know. And he showed up in just the perfect timing, like he always does, and he saved the day. God is the hero of my story. He's the, story, he's the hero of the whole Bible. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. There's this awesome quote from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was interacting with a student, and, and I, I kind of condensed his interaction into a quote here. Don't you know that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, that there is a road to London? So, from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the Scriptures that is Christ. Every part of this book, or these 66 books, every single part points to Jesus Christ. Every part. Even Esther, where God is not even mentioned. God, none of his names are mentioned in the book of Esther, but you see his fingerprints all over it. God is the hero of the Bible. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He's the hero of this story. It's one big story of God's plan of salvation, and Jesus Christ is the hero. And he's the hero of our stories as well. Stories of God's past providence are not about us. They are about him. If you've ever told one of these stories before to anybody, whether it was a Christian or they didn't know Jesus or whatever, you kind of recognize that, don't you? And it kind of, in some ways, it takes the pressure off of us because I know that in and of myself, I'm very imperfect. So I'm really glad that I am not my own hero because my story would be miserable. But God, who is infinitely capable of doing more than we can ask or imagine, who cares about us and who is faithful, he always comes through. He is the greatest hero, period. And he ultimately proved his love for us in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, who died on the cross to save us from the messed up stuff that we've done, not so he can hold it over our heads and be like, hey, you better serve me or I'm going to take this away and you're going to burn in hell, because that's not the point. The point is to reconnect us to a God who we broke connection with. He restores that friendship with us. He is the hero. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. He is the hero. Worship team, you can come on back up and play a little something, something. I want to, uh, I want to close with this today. Um, I hope that, that this story and this teaching have encouraged you to understand a little bit more about why your stories are so important. Why your stories of God are so critical. They remind us of his providence. We retell it to encourage others, and we recognize that he is the hero, right? You have stories. If you're a Christian, you have a story. It could be the story of your life. It could be a specific story where God came through for you in a really cool way. We all have a story. And one thing we do here at Echo that I have learned is uh, we use Bible verses like verbs. Matthew 18 is a big one. 
um, you know, talking about reconciliation and stuff like that. We say, I'm going to Matthew 18 you on this. So I'm going to Psalm 107 you on this. Have you been redeemed? If so, then speak out. Tell somebody. Your stories can bring life. Through your stories, God can bring life. So I would encourage you this week to tell your story. Tell your story to somebody. Doesn't matter who it is. You know, if you, as God provides you opportunities, and I believe that he will, why don't you tell your story this week? That's my challenge to you, just at least one person this week. Tell them part of your story. Maybe it's when you were saved. Maybe God delivered you from something like an addiction. Maybe God showed up at just the right moment and saved your life. Maybe you've been a Christian your entire life and you have never walked away. That is a testimony and a story in and of itself. Why don't you share your story with someone this week? Encourage someone. Plant the seed of a loving God in someone's heart. If you're here this morning and your story is not going how you planned, you don't really have a relationship with this guy, Jesus Christ. You don't really understand. Maybe, maybe you understand a little bit and you're wrestling with the concept. Maybe, you, maybe this is like your first time in church and you're just hearing this for the first time. I'm going to tell you, when, when Jesus came into my life, I mean, I've, I've, I grew up in church and everything, but I did some stupid stuff. But when Jesus came back into my life, he changed my story. My story was heading in one direction, and when he came in, he didn't just like fix the broken areas and heal me and stuff like that, but he changed my story. In a really good book, in a really good novel, everything starts going wrong, right? The hero thinks they know what's going on, but all of a sudden something hits and everything is going downhill. And usually the climax of the story is when something happens that changes it, right? It changes the entire narrative and the story ends in a different way than where it was headed. And maybe your story today is heading in a place where you don't want it to end. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ can and will change your story if you let him. So this morning as we go back into one final song of worship and just contemplate on the goodness of the Lord and who he is, I would invite you to pray with me. I'm going to pray this. We're not going to ask you to do anything weird. You don't have to like raise your hand or come up front or anything, but let's all pray together. And if this is you, if today you are sensing something pulling you towards this Jesus person, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way. If you're sensing that today, I would encourage you to just silently pray this prayer along with me right now. Jesus I realize that I have made mistakes. I understand that the sin that I have committed has broken your laws, and I understand that, as it says in the Bible, that the price for my sin, the wages of my sin, is death and an eternity apart from you and apart from a God who loves me. But Jesus, I am thankful today that you have made a way through your death on the cross for me to reconnect to our loving God. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you were sent to save me from my sin and I believe that you are alive. You didn't stay dead on the cross, but you rose. 
and you are alive and you still care about me. And so today, I offer you my life. I might not have much to give, but I give it to you. Would you transform me and change me? Change my story. Change my story. Today, Jesus, I commit to you my life. I want to serve you and follow you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.